Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. It is our intent to get the entire congregation back in public worship service. We had an outside service this morning at uh, 8.30. I understand that there were over 100 people there, and about half of those people uh, were people that had not been in public worship service since this COVID-19 uh, pandemic started. We're so glad to have you here today, and if you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest. Uh, if you're visiting, uh, if you're worshiping with us over the internet, we welcome you to this service as well. In our service this morning, Brother Bo Gross is going to be leading our singing. Brother J.T. Beard has the opening prayer. Uh, Brother Ben Mooney will have the scripture reading. Uh, Brother Ken Forrest will bring us the lesson this morning. Brother Chris Beard will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And then Guy Gardner will have some announcements in the closing prayer. Uh, I want to cover a few announcements, though, as we begin. We've been asked to remember Don Green, the preacher at Snowdown, in our prayers. He had to return to uh, the Vanderbilt Hospital. Uh, we also are so thankful that Brother Ronnie Johnson is with us today after surgery. And we, Jordan Coates is recuperating uh, at home following surgery. And we've got Brother J.T. Beard and... Brother Adrian Edge uh, facing upcoming surgery. And we remember the family of Becky Thomas, one of the members at Zion Rest, who uh, died this week. So we have just a lot of things to, to pray about. Would you bow with me as we begin today? Our loving Heavenly Father, we know that you're all-powerful. We are so thankful for your love for us and for your care and we pray your special care to be with Don Green with uh, JT Beard with Adrian Edge with Ronnie Johnson with Jordan Coates and we pray that your comfort would be with the family of Becky Thomas and father as we begin now to enter into this worship service we pray that our worship service would be pleasing in your sight in Christ's name we pray Amen. First song this morning, I'll worship the king. So I'll sing. Oh, worship the king, all glorious love.
Lord God and Father in heaven, we are so very grateful unto you for all the blessings of life you send us every, every day. We are especially uh, uh, blessed for the privilege of being able to assemble on this the first day of the week to worship you, the creator of heaven and earth, the giver and sustainer of all life. We are thankful, Father, that we can come before your throne with our wants and wishes, desires, and be assured that you hear the things that we talk with you about and, and that you answer our prayers. Today we want to lift up those that are sick, those that are having difficulties in life, especially continue to be with Don Green, Rick Wixom, and the others that are having health problems. We pray that you would be with those that care for them, that they would make the decisions that would cause them to have a complete recovery. We're thankful, Father, for the church here in Boonville. We're thankful for every member. We're thankful for all the good work that's going on. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to look into the future and determine to do even more in the future than we have in the past. We're thankful for our eldership. We pray that you would be with them, that you would give, give them wisdom, help them to make the decisions that would cause this congregation to grow. We also pray, Father, for those that preach the gospel. We pray especially that you would be with Ken today as he delivers a message. Give him a good recollection of those things he's prepared to say. And help us to listen in view of eternity, realizing that one day we must stand before you and give an account of how we have received your word, how we have applied it to our lives, and how we have used it to try to help others. We know, Father, that you love us. We know that because you allowed your son to come to this cruel earth and to die on Calvary's cross that we could have remission of our sins. We're so thankful for your love for us and allowing that to happen. And we pray, Father, that we would never forget the sacrifice that was made there. We're thankful, Father, for the country that we live in, for all the freedoms and privileges that we have. We're thankful, uh, especially at this time of the year, that we can stop and and give honor to those that, that work, the men and women that uh, provide so much uh, of the things that we need in, in this land. We're thankful, Father, that uh, we're blessed ab above possibly every other country on earth. And we're so thankful that, that we have the privileges and, and opportunities that we have, but help us to remember that with these privileges, we also have responsibilities. Help us to be aware of those that are less fortunate and try to improve their life in every way that we possibly can. We pray, Father, that you would uh, continue to be with us, to watch over us. We know that uh, you've promised that you would forgive us of our sins as we repent and ask your forgiveness. And we're so thankful for that privilege. And we pray, Father, that you would forgive us of the things that we do that's wrong. And we pray that as we strive to improve our lives, that you would always help us to live better in the future than we have in the past. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Psalm for the scripture reading this morning. Be humble yourself. It's convenient for you to please stand and sing the song. On yourself and beside the stood and, th and prayed thus with himself, God, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts him himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Good morning to everyone. It is terrific to see, to see you, and maybe some of you are double dippers, I don't know. We had a great crowd this morning out in the parking lot, and I like, I like how Jimmy put it. We met under the shed. That just sounds so legit, doesn't it? Church under the shed. Hey, we'd love for everybody to be a double dipper, but honestly, man, it was pretty crowded out there. So I, I, clearly we have met a need that existed, and at least for my part, got to meet a bunch of people that I haven't met before. Uh, they felt comfortable being in that environment outside with, with nothing but the air and the sunshine and some choosing to sit in their cars, but we had a good time together. And I'm really thankful to have this second opportunity with God's people. I just feel, man, I just feel so blessed today. And you are that blessing. This text that we just read together, I'm going to tell you, it's one of those that's going to challenge all of us. Our sensitivity to sin and how we deal with other people. Before we start that, though, let's pray God will help us, especially in terms of applying these truths today. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing that this day is the extension of our lives this much further into history. We thank you, Father, that we are living in this time, despite all the, the frustrations that we're facing right now. 
because we're able to show our faith in the midst of what is a perceived trial. So Lord, help us be faithful and steadfast through it. Lord, as we approach this time of worship, especially this particular function of our worship, I pray that you will help all of us to meditate on your word and that it will be alive in all of us. Help me to communicate it in a simple and understandable way to handle your truth honestly. And I also pray that you'll be with the hearers, that they can accept it easily and make the application that you intended from the very beginning when you first said it. Thank you for this privilege that we are all enjoying together as your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you notice from the text, God hates a proud heart. Now, before, before you get too excited about that idea and start formulating in your mind all those people that this applies to, Realize that despite what you may assume about a person, how they, how they live, your estimation of them, you cannot actually conclude whether or not what they're doing is pride. Maybe your interpretation of their actions is prideful, but honestly, you don't know what is in their heart. The thing is, God does know what is in our hearts. No matter what we present to other people, God always knows the truth about us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, it says that he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know why God's able to do that? You know why God's able to discern the righteous from the unrighteous? It's not based on the evidence that they give on the outside. It's based on what God knows about what's happening to us on the inside. Now, I'm going to share a text with you that... I find to be a little bit unsettling. It's in the Proverbs, Proverbs 16 and verse 5. That text says that everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now please notice what that text does not say. And probably if we were just reading through it, we would have assumed it said this, but it doesn't. That God hates pride. Okay, I'm sure God does hate pride, but that's not what this text says. This text is not like one of those things that we sometimes say. We say, well, God hates sin, but loves the sinner. I find consolation in that. I don't know if you do or not. But this text says, everyone proud in heart is, and that is is referring to the person, not the pride itself. Proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Listen carefully. If I have pride in my heart, I am an abomination to the Lord. Whoa, 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 Ken. What does it mean to be an abomination? Well, what it literally describes, and please pardon the, I guess, the in-your-face description of this, but it's, it's God wanting to just throw up. A person who has pride in their heart makes God just want to throw up. Well, when God has a mind to throw up, bad things happen. I promise you. And there are some examples, some horrific examples, of people who had pride and then God's reaction to it. Like with Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 33, here is Nebuchadnezzar. Now he was, but he thought he was as well, the greatest leader in the world. 
and look at this kingdom that I have created. I have done this and I have done that. God was sick of hearing about it. And this text tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest ruler on earth at the time, was relegated to grazing in grass like oxen. Boy, was he brought down low. That's because he made God just want to vomit. And then there was this guy by the name of Herod. The description of his demise is described right there in Acts chapter 12 at verse 23. In that text, here was Herod who had dressed himself in just the shiniest garb he could could gather and he is being held as practically a god and it made God want to throw up. And so our text says, well again, pardon the actual event and the description, but he was eaten from the inside out by worms. And then I guess the most obvious case of pride is the one that has tormented us from the very beginning, and that is the circumstance of Satan and his pride. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, which is right there in the midst of the qualifications for an elder, it says, as regards an elder, that he's not to be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. You see, what the devil did, among other things, is make God just want to throw up. Pride. Pride was the contributing factor in all of those. And there are so many other examples we could give, but those just kind of hit the nail on the head. God gets sick when people are filled with pride, and the reason is that when we are filled with pride, we make ourselves rivals with God. We're saying, I'm lifted up. I did this. I'm the man, without giving any credit to God, who is in control overseas, blesses whom he blesses, all of that. You probably know this text also from Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18. It says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's a warning. But now Jesus was giving a warning by using this parable as well. And in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, Jesus does not leave us wondering what was the point of all of this. He was giving this parable because he was directing it at those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now to despise someone else literally means I hold them in contempt. I'm better than they are. Look at me and then look at them. Can you not see a difference? I'm a godly, upright person. That is a sinner right there. And in the mind, well, is the contempt. It is the sense that I I truly am better than them. Oh yeah, sure, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner like that sinner. The Pharisee in our text, that Pharisee was proud. The text says that two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give alms of all that I possess. Lord, look at me. And honestly, if we had a Pharisee in our midst, we'd be looking at him. Because those guys had the outward appearance of total righteousness. They walked around in society with their white flowing robes all the way down to the ground with these huge hymns on them, representative of their righteousness and their adherence to every statement of God. They had fancy phylacteries and little boxes hanging all over their bodies that contained within them scripture references. If you wanted to see a display of righteousness, just walk right in on a Pharisee. Wow. And in fact, I'm imagining that as he walked into the temple, the crowd just kind of spread out. 
You know, here is a guy that none of us can measure up to. Let's just give him some room so he can come in here and worship God. They were noted for their righteousness. Don't look at me and say, well, Ken, tell us how unrighteous he was because I'm not here to do that. This parable gives us some facts and never calls into question, never calls into question whether or not he was righteous. It just lets him go on to describe himself. He says, one, I'm morally righteous, and number two, I'm spiritually righteous. Check me out. Moral righteousness. Lord, I thank you I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector right here. You know, as far as he was compared to everybody else, he was way up there, I mean, in the stratosphere. He's up there with you folks in the balcony, I might say. His righteousness, not called into question. I don't extort people, I don't twist their arm and take things away from them. Ha, 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 Mr. Tax Collector. I'm not unjust, that is, I don't charge people for things that I'm not due. I don't call them into question that way. Ha, ha, Mr. Tax Collector. And oh, I hear the rumors about people. I'm certainly not an adulterer. As though he's pinning this guy down and he says, even if I weren't all these things, I'm telling you, I'm not like that tax collector. What in the world's he even doing in here? Can I get an amen about that? Righteousness. No question about it. He's righteous. He's a, from all intents and purposes, for all I can see, he's a good man. And then he was spiritually upright. He said he fasted twice in the week and gave alms of all that he possessed. Now, you probably already know that the Jews were required to do both of those things. They were required to fast on the Day of Atonement. They were required to give tithes of all of their income. And so what's the big deal about him saying that? Well, the thing is, the Pharisees took what was required of them and they took it to a whole new level. For instance, as regards fasting, they didn't just fast once a year. Those guys fasted twice every single week on Mondays and Fridays. And as regards tithing, well, most everybody would give 10% of income and some would try to skirt the issue, well, you know, after I've taken care of everything else, just give as little as possible. The Pharisees not only counted what was income, but anything that was in their possession, they were going to pay tithes on. You see, these guys were committed to doing exactly what was necessary and then beyond, no one could ever question their righteousness and please, as we're reading this, I don't have any reason to think he's a liar. I'm taking his word for it. He is a righteous man, both morally and spiritually. So, what was the problem with the Pharisee? Well, according to our text, the Bible says that he trusted in himself that he was righteous and despised others. He trusted in himself for his righteousness. Listen to how the, listen, listen to how the prayer starts. God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. You say, well, that's a great start. He addresses God. He's thanking, well, he's thanking God that he's not like everybody else. So he comes to God with this high and mighty attitude, right? Puffed up, I'm a good one. You are lucky, God, to have somebody like me. But what was at the root of that? If you'll back up just a few words, you'll see something else. The Bible says that he stood and prayed thus with himself. Who are we praying to? Came to the temple to pray to God, not this guy. This guy doesn't need to pray to God. How do you think he's so righteous? You know, he, he, has, he has mastered 
what it is to follow God. And He has mastered it so much that when He walks in this room full of worshipers, He can imagine that He is the greatest worshiper of all and is, as it were, equal with God. God, you're lucky to have me. And I'm so thankful that I'm not like these guys and especially I'm not like that tax collector. Oh, he was proud. The tax collector, though, was humble. Now let me tell you something about tax collectors. You ever notice when Jesus is talking about sinners in the world, when he talked about the general class of sinners, when he wanted to really get that point across, he added a few examples He would talk about the harlots and the tax collectors. Harlots, tax collectors, sinners. You say, well, Ken, there are so many sins. Yeah, but if you really want to get your point across, pick the ones that are truly the scourge of the planet. And he he used, well, among two of the worst, this one, this guy right here, tax collector. Tax collectors were bad because this one in particular is a Jew. So a Jewish tax collector was a traitor to his own people. See, they're collecting taxes for the Romans. And the rabbis of the time said, if you have even one tax collector in your family, the whole family is disgraced. So how do you think your family feels about you? You know, we didn't raise him to be this way. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry, he's in your family. Maybe you can put some pressure on him. To be a tax collector, you'd have to truly be dedicated because you are getting abuse from everybody. Your own countrymen, your own family. And in order to gather those taxes, I understand the way that happened was the Romans said, now for this region, this, this group of people owes X amount of dollars, whatever their currency was. And so people would bid for the privilege of gathering that because what you do is you pay off the Romans and then you taxed your people at a higher rate so that you can make money. And if you were a rich tax collector, what does that tell you? You know, you've abused your people. Tax collector, scum of the earth. This tax collector, standing afar off so that he didn't so much as lift up his eyes into heaven, but beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven words. Terrible sinner. But begging for the mercy of God with seven words. You know, when David was guilty of his sin, his sin. Ha! Sins. Had somebody murdered to cover up adultery. An illegitimate child. Lying. Deceit. When David cried out to God, it took an entire psalm, Psalm 51, packed with 19 huge verses This man is so overwhelmed with the enormity of his sin, he can only put together seven words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mercy. Some years ago, I got this speeding ticket And, boy, I felt bad about it. When it happened, I told the police officer, I have some extenuating circumstances. And in his sympathy, he said, well, tell it to the judge. (laughs) So I had my court date, and I, you know, I went in in there to traffic court, and if you've ever been in traffic court, you see all kinds of things. And people, you know, people there, they've got these, these holes in their jeans and look like they just come off work. And here I had dressed up, had on a, a jacket and a tie. I'm sure I stood out a lot. 
And the guy that was sitting on the bench called my name. Ken Forrest, are you here? Yes, sir. I stood up. And he said, how do you plead? And I said, I'd like to throw myself on the mercy of the court. He said, you what? I said, I want to throw myself on the mercy of the court. He said, would you come up here? <laughs> so I did. He said, now what's this all about? I said, well, you know, I, I have some extenuating circumstances. I told the police officer, and he said I should tell you, and you know, I, I, I just thought I, I should just come here and throw myself on your mercy. And he said, sir, maybe you don't understand mercy. He said, if you're going to throw yourself on the mercy of this court, you first have to plead guilty. Well, here I am thinking now, if I plead guilty, this might be a bait and switch. You know what I mean? I say, I'm guilty. He says, guilty. And I'm like, wait. So I'm debating in my mind, do I plead guilty? What do I do? I said I wanted his mercy. He said, that's how I get it. So I said, sir, I'm guilty. He said, then plead your case. And I said, well, this particular morning was different from other mornings that I've had. Usually I go running in the morning with a friend of mine, Jim Harper. But this particular morning, the previous day, he found out that his wife has breast cancer. She's going to have to have surgery and the whole complement of treatments. And so after our run, we were just sitting there around our vehicles and we were talking about that and praying over her. And then that made me late. And as I was going home, I went through a school zone that I don't normally have to slow down for. And I just, you know, I wasn't paying attention. So, you know, I'm guilty. And he said... Well, sir, this court has compassion on you because you showed compassion to your friend. So while this court finds you guilty, you have received the mercy of this court. Now, I went out of there feeling pretty good. But I think that's the first time I really understood what mercy is. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I am, I am a sinner. That's it. You know, I don't have any explanation to give. I'm a sinner. And I am begging you now, even in the presence of what is the most, most perfect example of righteousness, standing right over there, you're probably not even listening to me, but God, please have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. Interesting thing about that story is what God does is God humbles the proud, but He exalts the humble. So we're standing there in the midst of this. We didn't really hear what everybody said, but we know the characters. That's Pharisee, righteous. That's a tax collector, the worst kind of sinners. God's going to hear that Pharisee. God couldn't care less about that tax collector right there. Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I tell you, this man, not the Pharisee, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, wait a second. That's not what I was expecting. To be justified on the basis of what? Was he not justified on the basis of his righteousness, his goodness? Why is this guy justified on the basis of just claiming the mercy of God for known sin? Let me ask you this. Which of these two characters do you most align yourself with? Now, don't think that this is a trick question necessarily because it, here's what I typically would do. I'd say, well, you know, in my own mind, I'm thinking, wait, I know how this story turns out. The tax collector's the one who is accepted, and so, yeah, you know, Ken, 
I'm just like that tax collector. Got sin, beg for God's mercy. Really? Is that an honest answer? Because here's the thing about me, maybe it's about you too. And that is, I want to be righteous. I want to please God. I want to do what's right. Don't you? I mean, isn't that why we... Isn't that why we study the Word of God? Isn't that why we strive to be like Jesus? When challenges come into our life, we will say things like, well, I question, what would Jesus do about this thing? And I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I want to be righteous. I want to choose what's right. I want to do the right thing always. Yeah, be righteous. Listen, the righteousness of the Pharisee was not the problem in this story. The problem in this story was that he thought himself righteous and he despised others. In his righteousness, he had become self-righteous. In his righteousness, he thought he was better than everybody else. So you're a righteous person. How do you feel about other people? Do you despise others? Do you hold others in contempt? Let's use some examples. There's one example right here in the text. He mentions adultery. When you know someone that has been involved in fornication or adultery, what do you think? You think, I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. I'm just, uh, oh, I'll never talk to them again. You know, I'm righteous. They committed sin, they're unrighteous. I want nothing to do with them. Instead of thinking, wait a minute, they've overcome, been overcome by sin. There's a soul needs to be saved. I'm going to do all I can to reach out to them, bring them back to Jesus. Do I despise the adulterer? How do you feel about homosexuals? You despise them? I've heard people say, I hate them. I hate them. I hate what they do. I... Well, are you better than they are because you don't commit that particular sin? Are you better than them in your righteousness? Or do you think there is someone in sin that needs the gospel and I'm the one to take it to them? And honestly, I don't care what anybody thinks in judging me about reaching out to them because they're lost. How do you feel about Democrats, Republicans? Do you despise the other party? Now, you know I'm on Facebook. Wasn't anything wrong with the man's righteousness? We all ought to be striving for righteousness. The problem with this guy was that he despised others. It may be that you need the mercy of God. Maybe, maybe you really are the tax collector. Maybe you are. If you are the tax collector, you are in sin. I've got good news for you today. You can be saved from that. You can truly receive the mercy of God. And that mercy is found in Jesus Christ. You are a sinner, but you can have those sins washed away by one who paid the price for you already. You can appropriate that blessing of forgiveness by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and turning away from your sin in repentance, confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and today, in just a few minutes, being buried in water to have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, you'll rise up out of that water having received God's ultimate mercy. Maybe, maybe you're the Pharisee. Maybe you're righteous, but you have no patience, no desire for those who are lost. Do not despise others or else you'll walk out of here unaccepted by the Lord. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe we just need to pray with you. 
Maybe this is something private with you you're just struggling with. Then by all means, be praying to God that He will forgive you. And maybe, maybe all it takes is seven words. If there's anybody who needs to respond this morning, now's your opportunity to do it. Why don't you come while we stand together and sing?
an opportunity to gather the emblems. If you would now, please hold your hand up and somebody will bring them to you. All right, if you will ready your emblem, we will partake of the bread. If you'll bow with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to gather together today to worship you. Father, we pray that as we partake of this bread that our hearts and our minds will be taken back to the cross where Christ's body was hung there, uh, all because of our sins. Father, we pray that as we partake of this that we may do so in a manner worthy of thee. In Christ's name, amen. again please our father in heaven once again we approach your throne father we pray that as we partake of this cup that we will be reminded that it was because of Christ's blood that was shed upon that cross that we may have the opportunity to have remission of sins if we live according to thy will father we pray that we take of this cup in a manner worthy of thee in Christ's name amen Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we normally take this time to give an offering uh, due to the environment we're in now. We do have the uh, plates located at each exit point, and also there are other ways of giving. Uh, let's bow now and thank the Lord for the opportunities we have. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the abilities we have to earn wages and to give back to thee so that thy work can may be performed on this earth. Father, we thank you for all of these opportunities that we are given each day, and we pray that we will use them uh, to thy glory. Father, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Brother Ken, for that wonderful lesson. Have a few announcements. Our numbers this morning, the 830 service had 109. At 1030 right now, we've got 145. So we know that means there's 150 or 200 of you uh, still watching online, and we want you to know we love you and we miss you, and we look forward to the day when it's safe enough for you to return and worship with us here in person. Have a couple of cards. I want to thank my church family for all the calls, cards, visits, and food brought to us after my surgery. Most of all, thank you for the prayers on my behalf. I am so thankful to have such a loving and caring church family. Joan Mormon. Have another card. Thanks for your prayers cards, calls, visits, food, and contributions made in his memory and many other acts of kindness during Billy's sickness and death. Keep praying for us, the Billy Mormon family. I have a note here to please remember Keith Lovell. This is the brother-in-law of Vicki Stutz. He started his third round of Chemo after surgery is not doing well and needs the church's prayers. Also, please continue to remember Pat Green in your prayers as she continues her chemo treatments. I want to remind everyone after our closing prayer that we're going to dismiss from the back. Uh, one at a time, please don't uh, stay and congregate around one another. And if you'll bow with me, we'll close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
for this day. God, we thank you that you allowed us to come here and worship you. We do want to lift up Keith Lovell and Sister Pat Green this morning to you. Please continue to be with them and help them through this trying time of sickness. And God, this morning we ask that you please open our hearts, soften our hearts to our fellow man. Help us reach out to others to help them. Help us lift one another up. God, please, each day, have mercy on us. Keep us humble. Remind us that no one is here today because of anything we've done. We're here because you've blessed us and given us this opportunity. And we love you so much, and we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Please help us this week to show kindness, to show compassion, and to show love to everyone we come in contact with. Father, please forgive us where we failed you. In Jesus' name, amen.